Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran towards him and what is Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of you now, in front of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. But what God predicted through the mouth of all prophets, that his Messiah would suffer, he is fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. The seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must welcome him unto the times of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up your prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him in everything he will say to you. And everyone who will not listen to that prophet will be cut, completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those after him, have also announced these days, You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. This is the word of the Lord. Keep your Bibles open there, please. Acts chapter 3. We are in a series on Acts. Tonight I'm going to uh, retell the Acts 3 story and then give you uh, three points of application. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, we want to thank you for uh, each other. Thank you that we get to sit in this place and sit with people who we know and people we don't know. Thank you, Father, for our unity in Christ. We thank you that we can sit here with the, the uh, scriptures in our own language. We thank you for those men and women who labor to translate them. We thank you, Father, that we have microphones so we can hear and musicians to help us to worship. We thank you, Father, for all your goodness to us. And now we come tonight, Lord, asking humbly that you would do a remarkable work of transformation in us. Father, we want to hear you. We want to hear you clearly. So speak, Lord, because your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't know my name. You don't need to know my name. 
the barber just calls me the lame man. That's what I was. I'm standing now, but I, I wasn't. For 40 years, I, I did this every day. That's how I got around. I, I used to beg. I used to stand before this, this beautiful gate at the temple complex. It's, it's ironic, really, because I wasn't beautiful, but I just sat there and I, I begged. Now, I, I was one of those people that you probably walked past. I one of those people that walked, that you walked past, and I'd say, uh, give, give us some money for some bread. Uh, people are really good at avoiding eye contact, you know. It's like I was invisible. Uh, they'd walk past me as though I wasn't there. And I was crying out, I, I'm a somebody, you know. I, I may not, ha- not have any legs, but I'm a somebody. I've been in Jerusalem all this time and I'd heard about this thing called Pentecost and, and how the Spirit of God came. I'm thinking, if the Spirit of God has come, maybe these people will be different. Because three times a day they went to pray, at 9am, at midday and at 3pm, and every single one of them just ignored me. I, I saw him coming. Peter, his name was. Uh, he'd walked past me lots of times before. He'd done the avoid the gaze. Ever done that? Pretend I wasn't there. But this day, he, he walked past me and he, he stopped. And he looked at me. Very few people actually looked me in the eye, you know. And he said, look at us. And I'm thinking, is he going to give me some bread? Is he going to give me some food, some money? And then my heart sank because Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. I'm thinking, well, what do you have? And then he said, but what I have I give you. What does that mean, I thought. But he continued, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. I'm thinking, you're crazy. These legs are mine. They haven't worked for 40 years. Like, there's no thigh muscles and there's no bone structure and my feet don't work and my toes don't work and you're tempted to get up and walk. But then my mind started to race. I was thinking, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. I was reminded of that story in the Gospels. You may have heard it. Do you remember when a paralyzed man whose legs don't work met the Lord Jesus Christ. And his friends lowered a mat through the house, through the roof. And Jesus looked at the man lying on the mat with, with legs that didn't work and he said, Son, what did he say, son? Your sins are forgiven. And I'd heard that he was ticked off because he wanted his legs fixed, not sins forgiven. And I thought, well, maybe... In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, maybe Peter is telling me that Jesus could heal my legs and he could forgive my sins. Anyway, Peter put out his right hand and he leant down to me. I'm thinking, is this really going to work? <laughs> like, these legs haven't walked in their entire life. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk, he said. And I'm thinking, if this is going to be a miracle, I'm not just going to walk. I'm going to leap. I'm going to dance. I'm going to jump. And so I got up. And for the first time in my life, I could actually walk. And I did. I leaped. And I jumped. And I praised God. Hallelujah. If you had not walked for 40 years and suddenly a miracle happened, would you not be praising God? Hallelujah. And I walked and I walked and I walked. I thought, this is true. And I walked into the temple complex and I was walking and they thought I was mad, you know. Praise God, hallelujah. And they started to whisper, isn't that the man? Isn't that the beggar from Beautiful Gate? And a crowd came around Peter. And went to Solomon's colonnade and, and I thought that Peter was going to talk about me. I thought that Peter would say, look at this healed man. But he didn't. Do you know who Peter preached about? Who did Peter always preach about? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he basically told the crowd who Jesus was. He was the son of God. He, he died. In fact, he said, you killed him. And then he said, repent and turn back to God. That didn't go down too well. But it's a remarkable day, you know, 5,000 people became believers. Extraordinary. See, that's my story. And I've retold that story because I think you read these miracles in the Bible and you forget just how miraculous they really are. This is not, a, this is not Peter healing a man with a cold or a blemish. <laughs> this, is, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of Jesus, a, a crippled man being totally healed. But tonight I want to focus on Peter. I want to focus on Peter because I think this story in Acts chapter 3 shows the radical change that the Spirit of God did in Peter's life. Because the Peter who preached this sermon in Acts chapter 3 is the same Peter who just 60 days before had denied Jesus. Not in front of a crowd, but in front of a slave girl. And disowned Jesus. But now he just can't stop talking about Jesus. If you take nothing away from this sermon tonight, take that one thing that that when you've met Jesus, when you've been transformed by Jesus, when the Spirit of God lives in you, you can't help but talk about Jesus. When you've really met Jesus and you love Jesus and you're blown away by the grace of God, when he's transformed your life in your own way through your own personality you just can't stop talking about Jesus let's see the change in Peter three points if the spirit of God has been at work in you you will start to see people like Jesus saw people you see people like Jesus such a simple point but look at verse 4 Peter, along with John, looked at the crippled man. That's all I want to preach on. Peter looked 
And Peter saw. And Peter stopped. He saw a man in need. He saw a man who was utterly helpless. He, he saw a man who had to be carried everywhere and beg everybody. The transformed Peter sees people through the eyes of Jesus. Remember when Jesus saw the crowds, he said they were helpless and and harassed like a sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. That's the change the Spirit of God has brought on Peter. Because as you read the Gospels, Peter does not act like that. He doesn't see like that. Remember when there's a crowd of 5,000 people to be fed? Remember that story? Peter did not see that as an opportunity for God's power to be shown. Peter saw that as a problem. We can't fix this. Send me away, he said. When the little children were brought to Jesus, it was the disciples who said, take them away. They're a nuisance. When blind Bartimaeus was cried out, son of David, have mercy on us, the crowd rebuked. But Jesus stopped. And Jesus saw. As you read the Gospels time and time and time again, Jesus stopped and he saw people and he saw their needs. He, he saw the leper. He saw the blind man. He saw the lame man. He saw the woman bleeding. He saw the prostitute. And Jesus saw people as human beings created in the image of God and loved by God. And he saw their deepest need because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. They needed forgiveness. And now Peter and John, verse 4, filled with the Holy Spirit, they suddenly start to see like Jesus. Peter would have, would have walked past this lame man time and time and time again. But now he stops. He sees. He sees the paralysis. He sees the hunger. But more than that, he sees the chance for the power of Jesus Christ to be displayed. He sees the chance for the gospel to be proclaimed. Let me ask you. Do you see people like Jesus sees them? Now, as you walk past the, the beggars on Pitt Street, do you do the avoid eye contact trick? Pretend they're not there. They're just a nobody, aren't they? Now, I'm not just talking about the beggars on Pitt Street. The person who sits next to you in the office day after day, week after week. Do you see them through the eyes of Jesus, you know, harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, needing to hear the gospel? The man who makes your coffee every morning. Do you just treat him like your servant? Or, or do you see him as a person loved by God and needing to hear about Jesus? Your neighbors, your family, your colleagues, the person you sit next to on the bus. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you start to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And you say, oh, I'm not Peter. I'm not an apostle. You don't have to be Peter. You've got the same Spirit of God living in you, haven't you? So firstly, you see people through the eyes of Je- like, like Jesus. Secondly, you boldly point people to Jesus. Verse 12 is such an important verse. Look at it with me. 
when Peter saw the crowds around him, people amazed and astonished and filled with awe at the power of God. He addressed the crowd. He preached. Men of Israel, he says, why are you amazed at this? Why do you doubt God's power? Is your God so small? And why do you stare at us? As though we had made him walk by our own power, our own godliness. He's saying, stop looking at me. I love that about Peter. Whenever he stands up to preach, it's not about him. It's all about Jesus. Every opportunity Peter has, he takes it to talk about Jesus. All glory be to Christ, he's singing. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. This man is healed in the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Stop looking at the cripple, stop looking at Peter, and start looking at Jesus. As Peter preached, he preached on the person of Jesus. He calls him in verse 13, his servant Jesus, a slave. That is God's servant, God's servant Jesus. He calls him in verse 14, the holy and the righteous one. See, Peter knows who Jesus is. He is the holy one, the perfect one, the pure one, the only one who is other, the only one who is righteous. He calls him in verse 15, the source of life. Is that your Jesus, the the source of all life, the creator of everything, the one who gives life and breath to everybody? He, He preaches the person of Jesus. He preaches the crucifixion of Jesus. But you see, as he preaches... He actually points a finger at people and says, you did this. In verse 13, you handed Jesus over. In verse 13, you denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. You were the ones who said, give us Barabbas. You were the ones who sent an innocent man to death and acquitted a guilty man. You did that. In verse 15, you killed the source of life. Let me just stop for a moment. If we are truly going to point people to Jesus, if people are really going to understand the gospel, we've got to help people understand that they are also responsible for his death. You've got to help people understand their sin and their depravity that took Jesus to the cross. Uh, You might not have killed him 2,000 years ago, but you were there at the cross. Remember the song, How Deep the Father's Love? Verse 2 always gets me. Behold a man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. If we're going to preach Christ crucified, you've got to also preach it it was your sin and my sin that took him to the cross. And then Peter preached the resurrected Jesus in verse 15. Because Jesus is the source of life, then he can't be kept dead, can he? So God raised him from the dead because death could not hold him down. Verse 16, by faith in his name, by believing in Jesus, the name of every name, the name at which every knee will bow, the name in whom alone salvation is found, by faith in his name, this man is made strong. Stop looking at the miracle and start looking at Christ. Stop looking for healings and miracles and start looking for Jesus. 
It's no-nonsense preaching, isn't it? Now, when I say boldly point people to Jesus, on that word bold, please don't hear the word, you have to be an extrovert. You can be the most introverted person, but still boldly talk about Jesus. That word bold doesn't mean that you're like a overzealous, obnoxious used car salesman. The word bold means that you have this quiet but deep conviction that God loves people. This deep conviction that God loves people, that God wants people to be saved. And a conviction that when the gospel is preached, when people hear about Jesus, then God's spirit will do his work and people will come to salvation and faith in Christ. That's all I mean. And this talk tonight about praying for opportunities. Do you ever do that? Here's what sometimes happens to me. I pray for an opportunity to share my faith. And surprise, surprise, God gives me an opportunity. And it's almost like I, I want to slam that door shut because I'm too afraid to actually open the door and take the opportunity. So opportunities all around us to talk about Jesus. So we see people like Jesus sees them. We point people to Jesus. And then lastly, we call people to repent. This is the bit we don't like. We don't mind talking about Jesus. We don't mind talking about the cross and the resurrection. But the gospel is not just facts, is it? The gospel is a call, a decision to make, an action to take. See the call in verse 19? Therefore, repent and turn back. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Acknowledge before God that you got it wrong. Acknowledge before God that you've lived your whole life as though you were in control. Stop thinking you know everything. Stop the arrogance. Stop the pride and repent. That's all that word means, is turn back. C.S. Lewis says this. I finally gave in and admitted that God was God. I knelt down and I prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. But to kneel down and to say, God, you are God, I was wrong all my life. So I'm going to ask you again tonight, have you done that? Have you actually repented? Have you actually said, I was wrong and Jesus is right? I got it wrong about Jesus. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the King. I'm sorry, God. I want to start living for you. You don't need to do it publicly. Just in your own heart. Do it. And there'll be people sitting in this building who have sat here week after week, year after year, but you've never done it. Please. I'm only asking you because I love you. Repent and turn back. It's very humbling. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Uh, Whitfield says this. It's a poor sermon that gives no offense. That neither makes the hearer displeased with himself nor with the preacher. I'm sure there's a few people tonight are thinking, shut up, Paul. We must call people to repentance and faith. Uh, the positives are there in verse 19. This is what you get when you repent. 
See the so that in verse 19? Repent and turn back. Why? So your sins may be wiped out. Look at that again. So your sins may be washed away. So your sins that are as red as scarlet might be as white as snow. So that God will take the sponge and just wash off all the dirt. That God will get the hose on you and hose you down so you're totally clean. I spent an hour yesterday hosing down our carport. It was just filthy. There was mud everywhere. And it's so satisfying, isn't it? And you get the hose and you're squirting and squirting and you're watching. Literally the mud is just trickling down the drain. That's what happens when you repent. It's like this, this utter, utter relief that your sins are gone. No guilt to carry. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter when you did it. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That's what you get. Drop to the bottom of the ocean. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our transgressions from us. We're forgiven sinners. Yes, we're still sinners, but we're forgiven sinners. I, I love the, the Bethel song, I am forgiven at the foot of the cross. I'm accepted by the power of your love. My every stain is washed away. I am forgiven. So when you repent, you get forgiveness. When you repent, you get refreshment, verse 19. That seasons of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? When you turn to Christ, the Spirit of God, he brings you relief and rest and respite and refreshment. That's what it means. The word there for refreshing is literally respite. And if you ever cared for aged parent or sick people 24-7, you know what a bit of respite care is like. Just that hour of relief. And the Bible is saying when you repent and turn to Jesus, you get that all the time, you know. Spiritual refreshment. The Spirit of God who reminds you of the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus and the kindness of Jesus. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this because I keep meeting Christians who are telling me that they are spiritually dry in some way. And when they tell me, I want to say to them, when was the last time you, you drank from Jesus? When was the last time you spent time with Jesus? When was the last time you spent time with God's people? When was the last time you repented? You can't claim to be spiritually dry if you actually don't go anywhere near the source of refreshment. When you repent and believe, you have total forgiveness. You have spiritual refreshment. When you repent and believe, you have a different perspective because you're waiting for the return of Jesus. And your whole life now, verse 20, is waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to return. So verse 21, he may restore all things. Nature will be liberated. Creation will be liberated. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. We'll have new bodies. That's what we're waiting for. See, Peter preached the most extraordinary sermon on the back of the miracle. And I'm here tonight just to say to you that when the Spirit of God works in you, Will you see people as Jesus sees them? Will you point people to Jesus and will you call people to repentance? I've noticed over the last sort of five years or so at Church by the Bridge, 
we've got to stop doing altar calls. We used to say, you know, pray this prayer of repentance. Why have we stopped? Is it because we're a bit embarrassed, a bit ashamed? Or is it perhaps that we, we doubt or question whether God really is powerful enough to totally transform someone as they sit here in the service? If God's Spirit has worked in somebody, if they come to faith in Christ, today is a great day to pray that prayer of repentance. As Peter preached, 5,000 people believed. So as we go about our week this week, please take every opportunity to point people to Christ. Through your personality, your own little ways. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to make this prayer your own prayer, if you're here tonight, you want to repent and believe. Just echo in, these, in your own heart what I'm about to pray. I'll give you a moment just to, to think whether that's you tonight. Either repenting for the first time or repenting after a long time away from God or maybe just repenting again and again and again. Lord God, we, we declare tonight that you are God and we are not. We're sorry for the ways that we've lived without you. We're sorry for the ways that we've pretended that you're not there. And we're sorry for the ways that we have known that Jesus is God, but we've just tried to ignore that. Thank you that Jesus lived. Thank you that he died for my sin. Thank you that death could not hold him down, that he is risen. And thank you, Father, that when we turn to you, our sins are wiped out. You refresh us. And thank you that Jesus is coming again. Tonight, Lord, we repent, we turn back, and we declare that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. In his name.